give you in a uh, short uh, message here this evening, but I hope to just lay some groundwork and, and stir some desire in us as God's people to be fishers of men, and that will be the root cause for further study. But in Luke chapter 5, follow along as we read these, these verses where we see Christ uh, really laying down the importance and the focus that he wanted his disciples to have that they might be fishers of men. Beginning in verse number 1, reading down through verse number 11. He says, And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake. But the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all night, and we have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word I will let down the net. And when they had done, when he had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their net brake. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came, and they filled both the ships, so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. <coughs> Excuse me. For he was astonished, and all that were with him, at the draught of the fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partner with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to the land, they forsook all and followed him. This story given to us here by Christ, uh, if you have a red letter edition of the word of God, you can see those words that are Christ's words specifically. Um, We of course know that the entirety of the word of God is uh, God's word, uh, but these are the words which Christ spake. And... uh, That's recognizable for us. We're able to see in the importance that he puts on this as he talks to Simon and declares unto him that henceforth thou shalt catch men. It seems that quite often in the New Testament, Jesus was with men that would call themselves fishermen. That uh, his disciples, a number of them were fishermen. Uh, There was, you know, and I don't know, this may be just something practical because he was raised in the area of Galilee and that fishing community, and it may just be that he happened to know a lot of fishermen, and it would be perfectly natural for him to be around a number of fishermen, but it might also be something that he did on purpose because of the principles that are applicable from those that would be fishers of fish, and how that can be applied to us as believers as we are to fish for men. There are many principles that would apply to both We know that Christ often was with men that were fishermen. His closest disciples, Mark chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 4, we see that they were, they were fishermen. In Matthew 8 and in Matthew 14, Jesus uh, uses a boat to teach from, as he does in our text here. He, he uh, seizes an opportunity to stand on the bow of a ship or sit on the edge of a ship and teach people from there. 
In Luke chapter 5, our text here, and in John 21, the disciples experience a night of fruitless fishing, and Jesus uses this opportunity to teach them a valuable lesson. Our story here picks up at the beginning, we read it, where there was a multitude, there was a group that wanted to hear Jesus teach, and they were pressing him, they were coming around, and Jesus here comes upon these fishermen that had fished all night, and had just docked their boats and stepped out to clean their nets and to get ready for the next day or the next night when they would go out fishing again. And Jesus seizes upon the opportunity. Do you know sometimes the actually being used of God is a matter of being in the right place at the right time and a matter of just being available? You see, this was not something that Peter had put into his calendar. This is not something that Peter had planned for, that, okay, on this day, Jesus is going to use my ship, and he's going to teach the people, and a a great drought is going to be wrought. No, Peter didn't have anything in in his plans at all, but he was there when God needed somebody. Can I tell you that, by and large, a lot of times you want to get used in the church, it's just a matter of being there. It's just a matter of being present. It's a matter of being available. He called on Peter and says, hey, could I use your ship? Peter could have said, man, I've been out all night. No, we're tired. We, uh, no, this ship is no longer in service. This is, you know, like the cabs. They have the out of service thing they put on. Out of service. We're done for the day. He could have said, we're done. But no, he was available for the master. And, and Jesus used it. And a lot of times, if you, I just tell you, if you want to be used, and, and even in a mighty way, just being available is a big part of it. Peter didn't know what God was going to do, but God did a miraculous thing here because he was just available. He gets into the boat and they cast off a little way from the shore and Christ teaches the multitude. He shares with them the truths that he had. And the scripture says when he left off teaching that he tells Peter, he says, hey, I want you to go out into the deep. I want you to go cast your nets that you could bring in a draught. I mean, there's, there's fish to be had. We see a couple things about Peter here. Peter, like many of us, felt he knew better than the master. He says, Master, we've we've fished all night. We already done fished these waters. We know how this works. You know, uh, uh, we are fishermen. This is what we do for a trade. This is our life's purpose and everything we do every day. And, And we've done work these waters. There's nobody there that wants to hear. You know, when I was in Lawrence, Kansas as assistant pastor, we would knock on every door in the city every year. It's not like Baltimore. Last year we passed out 50,000, not last year, the year before that, we passed out 50,000 John Romans and never crossed, you know, we never did any area twice, at least not on purpose. Sometimes kids, you know, we would get out there and, we would be going down the street. We'd be like, hey, we already did that street. <laughs> they would have to run back and pick them, pick them up, you know, go back and get them. Um, so that happens sometimes by accident, but, but not on purpose. I mean, it's, it's completely different. But what I'm saying is you'll go down that road, and in your mind you're like, oh, I remember this door. Last time I was here, this guy cussed me out. Uh, I don't know. Nah, no, he's not home. <laughs> sure enough, you know, I mean, you, you approach it gingerly because you remember it. What I'm saying is in our mind we say, oh, they don't want to listen. 
How many of you have seen somebody uh, at the grocery store and the Lord prompted your heart to give them a track or to be a witness to them? And in your heart and mind, you say, Lord, I can tell by looking at that guy, he's not interested. We're, we're saying like Peter, Lord, we've already fished these waters. We've already established that there's no fish here. And God says, put down your net. We see the fact of the matter is, is that Peter just felt he knew better. He questioned God. Can I tell you that God sees your heart? God sees the spirit that you have. God sees the disgruntled attitude and, oh, you're here, you're in church, or you're doing the job, or you're out doing what God told you to do, and you're fulfilling it, but you ain't happy about it. God sees that. Those of you that have raised children, you know exactly what's that like. You as a parent, you tell the child to go clean a room and they know they don't have much of an option. And so they, they go in there and everything's slamming and the closet door slamming. And uh, there's a problem there. By the way, if your child does that, they, they may be being obedient, but they're not being obedient in their heart. And there's a bigger problem that needs to be dealt with. You can't let that go. God sees your heart. But what's amazing to me here in this lesson is that we also see that God still rewards obedience. God still filled the net. He still was able to be used greatly of God. And what I'm saying is sometimes we may be like Peter and we may be operating from a place of unbelief. We may say, I don't think this person wants Christ. But if we would just be obedient, we may get to rejoice and see that they'll turn to Christ. You may be in a position where you are operating in a, in a, in a state of unbelief or you say, I'm not sure about how God can make 90% go as far as 100%. I'm not sure how this works. I'm operating in a state of unbelief. It doesn't make sense to me. But if you will just be obedient... You could see God do miraculous things. What is it in your life that you are operating in a state of unbelief, that you maybe you know God wants you to do and maybe you haven't done it yet, but if you would just be obedient in that, even in your heart of hearts, you may think, I don't, it doesn't make sense, I don't think it's possible, but I want you to know God still rewards obedience. As God did here, Peter lacked belief, yet God still filled the nets. When he saw, we see here also Peter's incomplete obedience. We know in the story, he tells Peter, God tells Peter to let down his nets, plural. And Peter let down his net, singular. It was incomplete obedience. And yet, God still saw fit to bring the increase. Because he was trying to teach a lesson on the importance of fishing for men. In the same way that Christ filled the nets, he can fill your and I nets as we fish for men in this world because Jesus is concerned for the souls of men. So let me give you a couple of things here about how to fish for men. First of all, you must cast your net. You must cast your net. And when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, launch out in the deep and let down your net for the draught. These men here, they were called fishermen. 
We recognize that. And the two uh, ships standing at the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them. They were recognized as fishermen because this is what they did. This was their calling in life. It was very understandable that they would say, oh, the fishermen have left the boat. You wouldn't expect Christ to say, oh, the bakers have left the boat. No, the bakers don't spend their time in boats. The bakers spend their time in the bakery. But the fishermen have left the boat. What I'm saying is that they were recognized as fishermen because this is what they did with their life. And in the same way, it should be just as common for the Christian to be recognized as a fisher of men. We should be so consistently casting our net, so consistently sharing the truth of the gospel that men would recognize you as a fisher of men. That's what should be the life of the Christian. There were two boys who went fishing. They told their mom, Mom, you don't need to cook anything for dinner this evening. We are bringing home the fish. They left in the morning with their fishing rods and their buckets and their worms and so excited about bringing home the fish. They got to the, to the stream or the little uh, river there where they were going to be fishing and they saw a snake that poked its head up above the, above the water. And they put down their bucket and their fishing rods and they began throwing rocks at the snake and they started chasing the snake down the bank. The snake came up upon a turtle and the snake and the turtle had a little interaction, but the snake got away. But that turtle looked pretty interesting. The boys played with that turtle for a good while. By then the sun was high in the sky and it was pretty hot and they thought, boy, we ought to go swimming and get cooled off a bit. They went swimming and they finished swimming and, and came up and they said, man, we sure are hungry and they ate something and thought, boy, we sure are tired. And they laid down for a little nap. They finished their nap and they, 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 and they woke up from their nap. They saw that it was getting on to be dusk and they thought, boy, it's getting, getting a little bit late. I'm not sure we have much time to do anything else. I think mom might start worrying. We better skedaddle on home. So they came on home and when they reached the front door of the house, mom was standing there with the pot and pan ready to go and says, where's them fish? They said, oh, we, we, we was too busy to do any fishing. They didn't get to do any fishing. That is the sad state of the church today. We're so busy that we've left off the fishing. We've become so busy even with sacred things that we don't have time to do the soul winning thing. The reaching the lost, the reason for which God has left us here. Somebody wrote, I guess you would call a, a parody of this. I don't know if that's a good description, but he wrote down this. He says, now it came to pass that there was a group existed that called themselves fishermen. And lo, there were many fish in the waters all around. In fact, the fish were very hungry. Week after week, month after month, year after year, those that called themselves fishermen met in great meetings and talked about how they were called to go fishing. Continually they searched for new and better methods of fishing and for new and better definitions of fishing. They sponsored costly nationwide and even worldwide congresses to discuss fishing and to promote fishing, to hear all about the different ways in one might go fishing. Such, a new, such as all the new fishing equipment available to them and fishing calls and fishing attractions and whether any new baits had been yet discovered. These fishermen built large and beautiful buildings and called them fishing seminaries, a place where them uh, in strategic city, placed them sorry, in strategic cities around the country and around the world. They, of course, uh, supported them faithfully through their cooperation of the fishing programs. They sent in their finest young college graduates for three or four more years of specialized fishing training. Some even earned doctorates in fishing. The plea was that everyone should be a fisherman and every fisherman should fish. Only thing is, 
They didn't do it. They didn't fish. Those who had doctorates in fishology, of course, were only expected to teach on fishing, not to do it themselves. It's a sad state of the church. We gather in here and talk about fishing, talk about the need to fishing, give instruction on how to fish, but are we fishing? What I'm saying is there has to come a time where we cast out the net. You're not going to catch any fish in the sanctuary. Here is, here is where we get the tools and equipment and, and yea, you could even say the nets to go to carry out, to go into the world and cast them so that you're prepared and ready. But it takes believers who know that they're fishermen and they go out and they cast their nets to bring in the fish. Not only do you need to cast your net, you need to care for your net. Whatever you're using as you care for your net, we see here that these uh, had stopped to wash their nets after a night of fishing. We need to care for our net, whatever you use for a net. You know, if you have uh, gospel tracts, you should care for those. Don't, don't let them get all, don't leave them on the dash of your car and they get all curled up. Uh, you know, use them for, uh, keep from getting water stains on your, on your furniture and then they have rings from your Mountain Dew. Uh, or whatever else that you, your coffee or whatever, don't let it get stained up. I mean, care for your nets. The things that you're going to be presenting, it represents Christ, and it should be uh, top-notch and high-quality. We spend money to try and provide high-quality tracks and various tracks for different times of year, tracks for the fall, and tracks for, uh, you know, we're coming up on Halloween, and we'll have Halloween tracks, and there'll be tracks for Christmas, Christmas tracks, and thank, thank you tracks for whenever you go out to eat, and different opportunities, different ways, just, just ways to throw out a net. Churches that fail to cast out all the nets that are available to them will start to fall. We can't minimize the nets. Every ministry here at the church should be some form of a net that's being cast. We have Vacation Bible School. That's a net we have. It goes out into the community. We bring kids in. The Backyard Bible Club is a net that gets sent out from the church. The bus ministry week by week goes out. It's a net that, that draws people in. But we can't leave that to be the only means through which uh, people are reached through Hunt Valley Baptist Church. We individually need to be casting the net. Sometimes nets need mending. In Matthew chapter 4, verse number 21, he says, And going on from thence, he saw another two brethren, James, the son of Zebedee, and, his, and John, his brother, in a ship with Zebedee, their father, and they were mending their nets. Sometimes the nets we're caring for need some mending. Uh, could I apply this maybe to our, our knowledge, to our understanding, to the work that we put in to being effective fishermen? Sometimes we need to do some reading about it. You know people that love fishing? Is there anybody in here that loves fishing? You just, you just love it. There's a few of you. Um, I mean, I like catching. I don't care much for fishing. Uh, <laughs> usually when I go out, I do a whole lot of fishing and not much catching. That's why I don't like it much. <laughs> but, um, you know, people that enjoy it, they like reading about the equipment that's available. They like reading about how these lures do this and it's effective in this kind of water to catch this kind of fish. 
I mean, I don't know or understand any of that stuff. I remember years ago Chuck Coffey uh, coming and preaching, and uh, he was a Marine, and he was a man's man, and I mean, he's just fun to listen to, but he would talk about stuff like that, and it was so interesting because he knew every kind of lure and what kind of water it was supposed to be used in, and that caught this kind of fish if it's early in the morning, but you don't want to use that in the afternoon because it's not good. You need this kind in the afternoon because it's going to catch the rays of the sun, and it's going to attract the fish better, and I mean, knows all of that stuff. Why? Because he loved it. How much do we know about catching men? Well, we know we're supposed to do it, but there's, there's a whole, I have a stack of books on my desk downstairs I meant to bring up here. Um, it's about 12 or 13 of them all on, all on soul winning. They pretty much all say about the exact same thing because we're, we're only writing from one book, amen? It's only one source here. There's only one, one letter that's, that, that all of them are, are given any instruction from. There's a lot of things that we can learn about it, but are we spending any time, are we striving or trying to learn? I appreciate there's several people in recent days that asked me about, about how to be a good fisherman, how to, how to be a good witness. That's a desire to learn. That's the foundation. That's the beginning, that they try and improve their skills. We have in the Word of God, God's simple plan of salvation. It's just a place to start. There's many other things that we can learn or that we could expound upon. But the very beginning, could I tell you that if you're going to be a witness to use the scripture, don't just tell stories. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The word of God is quick and powerful. Use the scripture. You say, well, I don't know the scripture. That's what you need to learn. And we can, we, we can give you the very basics, the fundamentals of, of witnessing. I have uh, typed out here for you a soul winning outline plus key questions. This, this walks you through very basic. It's two pages, but it's very basic. Ask this question, give them this answer. Uh, at, you know, say this, read this verse, uh, define and explain this verse. <clears throat> it's very straightforward, very simple, but this is just the basics. There's four simple things that people must know in order to be saved. They must acknowledge, each person must acknowledge he's a sinner. We know that. He must acknowledge he's a sinner. Uh, then Romans 3.10, read the scripture. Explain and illustrate. You need to try and explain things. People in the world don't know Bible terms and definitions and words. You know, people talk about how the scripture is so hard to understand because of the these and the thous and words that are less common today. Some things very simple, but if you just take a second and explain it, it, it makes sense to them and it, it can be very powerful uh, asking them, do they agree with that? There's none righteous, no, not one. What does that mean? There's nobody that's perfect. Nobody has their own righteousness. It's not, we can't, we can do some good things, but there's none righteous. The Bible goes a step further than that, and it says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So not only am I not righteous, but I'm a sinner. Would you agree with the Bible that we've all sinned? We've all done things that are wrong? So you talk about that, you explain it, you illustrate it. Since everyone has sinned, since they've come short of the glory of God, what is God's glory? God's glory is his perfection. That's where he's at, perfect. God can't allow sin into heaven. We're not perfect. Are you perfect? You might be a really good guy. And I'll usually give an illustration of, of working together to, uh, to, you know, we might either, you could say, bowling or playing darts or playing basketball or whatever, you know, golf or whatever you want. But some type of illustration that shows how one person can come short by a tiny, tiny little bit and another person can come short by four miles, but they both came short. 
I mean, I might hit the rim and the ball bounce five times and then fall off. And the other guy didn't even hit the backboard, but we both missed. We both missed the mark, and the mark is perfection. Jesus Christ is perfection. So he explained that. Those are just some simple illustrations that you could use. And secondly, he must acknowledge that there's a penalty for sin. We understand that. Our makeup is, is built that way. We know there's a penalty for sin, and, and I usually will tell them something like this. I'll say, that's why you press the brakes when you see an officer. You might not even be speeding. But you see an officer and you touch the brakes. Why? Because you know there's a penalty for having transgressed the law. This is the law. It's written on the heart of man. We know we've transgressed it. We know we're sinners. There's a penalty for sin. Well, what is that penalty? And uh, so you read Romans uh, 5.12 and explain death. Then you talk about, you can talk about Adam and Eve if you feel it's necessary to get in that far. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Explain what a wage is. It's something you earn. It's not a very hard term. But people just in the context of Scripture, they're like, what? The wage is, it's what you earn. Just like you earn your wage at work. You earn a wage. It's what we've earned. Is death. What is death? Death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Explain what death is, that we're eternally separated from God forever and ever, and, and then apply that to them. That's the penalty because I'm a sinner. That's not very good news. I thought you had good news for me. I do. The good news is, is that Jesus paid the penalty for you. So that you, you, you know, and I always repeat, repeat, repeat. Repetition is the key to learning. So we know we're sinners. We know there's a penalty for sin, but thirdly, we know that Jesus paid the penalty for us. Um, he must believe that Jesus paid the penalty for him, Romans 6.23b, uh, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I talk about a gift. What is a gift? It's something that's free. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. Baptism won't give it to you. Going to church doesn't give it to you. It's a gift. The minute you begin to work for it, it ceases to be a gift. So you could try and earn your way to heaven if that's how you want to get there and you're going to fall short. Or you can accept the free gift of Jesus Christ and that is salvation through his son. Explain that it's a gift. It's not something that they could earn. But then you also you explain that uh, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I always talk about it's through Jesus. I want them to know it's not through Hunt Valley Baptist Church. It's not through Pastor Caleb Bottrell. I can't do anything for them. Our church can't do anything for them, but Jesus Christ can. He's the one that died for them, and it's through Jesus. So we explain that. So Jesus paid the penalty for us, and all we have to do is accept his payment. And I get to this point, and I say the, 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 the reason so many people are still on their way to hell is because they know about God, but they've never accepted his payment for, them, for their sin. I, and I'll reference to them. I'll put them in those shoes and say, I, I know you've heard these things. I know you probably could quote for me, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And they could still start quoting it with you if they know it already. You see, you know about God. You know the things that I told you. You know we're all sinners. You know there's a penalty for sin. And you heard about Jesus, how he came and died on a cross. You've heard that before. Yeah. Well, how do you accept Payment, and I have other illustrations I'm not going to take time to go into tonight, but there's, there's a place and a time, there needs to be a day, there needs to be an hour where you take the payment that Christ made and apply it to your account. And the Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Would you be willing to call upon the name of the Lord today? All of that is spelled out in this piece of paper in very detailed question and answers and all that. It's on the, it's on the Welcome Center out there. Uh, I made a few copies 
but just getting your net in good shape so it's ready to go. So if God brought somebody to you and said, what must I do to be saved? You may not have it all memorized. You may have to have this folded in your Bible and say, okay, well, first of all, you need to know that there's a penalty, you know, that we're all sinners. Look at what it says right here in the Word of God. That's okay. At least you've got something and you're ready to go. Have it. That's where you can start. Underline the verses in your Bible. Highlight them. Mark down on the bottom of your page what the next verse is you need to go to. So you're looking at it and you say, oh, we're here in Romans 3.23. What do I go to next? Mark it down. And you can walk through it like that. Have it all spelled out. For years, I was an assistant pastor and I carried a New Testament that had it all marked out in there. There's no shame in that. You guys know what my memory's like. <laughs> it's, it's horrendous. And uh, I'll be doing good to, to be sure I had my New Testament with me, let alone knowing where I got to go in the thing. So uh, get it marked down. Then uh, lastly, I want to give you tonight, you must continue in the night. In verse number five, he says, And Simon answering, he said unto him, Master, we have toiled all night. <coughs> he said, Lord, we've done this. We've gone. We've put forth effort and we've not seen any fruit. You know, sometimes it gets hard. I've been so winning many, many times that I saw no fruit. But you see, God does not hold you responsible for their response. He's to, he holds you responsible for your obedience. To go. To share the truth. To tell them about God's love. How they respond is up to them, but at least you have done your responsibility and given them the truth. This picture here of toiling all night, giving forth long hours of effort, going when it's hard. Sometimes you'll go and you won't catch any fish, but sometimes you'll go and you'll bring forth increase. And there is nothing like the joy of seeing a soul bow their head and trust the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. You got to have a passion for it. You got to desire it. I'm really ashamed that I have to give you an illustration from so many years ago. This is more of a a detriment to to me than than it is a, a praise because this is an illustration from many years ago. I don't have one that I can give you from last year, but I should. You know, some years ago, I was asking God to allow me to see one soul saved every month. One soul saved every month. And I I had, it was a pursuit of prayer that I had every day, asking God to allow me to see a soul saved. And sometimes, some months, we would get down towards the end of the month, and I went soul winning every week. Sometimes we've only got a few days left, and there's no more soul winning days left. So what are you going to do? Oh, well, I didn't get one this month. Uh, No. I would go out on the street, try and find somebody to talk to. One time, I, was, uh, I took a group of men to Colorado to go skiing. And while we were there, the month turned over. So I knew I hadn't with anybody in the Lord yet that month. And I'm, we're going on this ski trip with a bunch of men to Colorado so in every gas station on the way down there, I was looking for somebody to lead to the Lord. 
I'm like, Lord, you know, show me somebody that needs you. And I'm trying to give out tracts at the gas stations. I'm trying to be a witness to somebody. And here, the, the next day, I mean, here, the next day is the end of the month. We're in Colorado. We're, ski, we're, we're skiing up on Keystone uh, Mountain. And uh, the next day is the, the last day of the month. And I, I'm, I, I couldn't go to sleep. I'm like, Lord, you've given me a soul every month. This is the last day. I can't imagine you would not. I left the hotel and I'm walking the streets trying to find somebody to witness to in the middle of the night. I couldn't find anybody. I thought, well, you know what? In the morning, there's going to be a bunch of people downstairs at breakfast. I'm going to find one of them early birds, them guys that just get out of bed in the middle of the crazy hours. You know, I'm going to go find one of them. And surely one of them is going to look at me and say, what must I do to be saved? I went down there, and that, that whole place was full of early birds. I was expecting to find, like, one guy, you know, by himself, and we would sit down and have a nice conversation. Well, that didn't work too good. I tried to be a witness there. Nothing happened. We went up, and we got on the slopes and started skiing, and we skied all day. We skied into the night, and we were night skiing. And we're skiing, and we're, I get on this lift with this couple of young guys, college guys. There was four of them. And the Lord says to me, witness to that guy right there. And we're in a gondola with like 15 people. And I, I chickened out. I said, no, nah, I can't do it. And we got to the top of the mountain and the Lord just beat me up and says, you've been praying and you've been asking and you've been working and I brought them right to you. And I said, we're on, we're on Keystone. So this is, I don't know if you've ever been, this is a massive mountain. And I told the Lord, I said, if I get to the bottom of that hill and he's there, I'll witness to him. I got to the bottom of the hill. I stepped in the gondola and guess who stepped in behind me? So it's about a 15 minute ride to the top of the mountain in the gondola that goes from the bottom to the very top. And I witnessed to him all the way up we stepped out of the gondola right there. It's, it's lit. It's like this where you're getting out, even though it's nighttime. And we got out of the gondola. We stepped out of the main flow of traffic. And I had witnessed to him all the way up. And I said, would you like to bow your head and trust Jesus Christ? And he said, I would. Amen. And one of his friends said, I would. The other two didn't. But two of them on the top of that mountain, about eight, 9 o'clock at night, trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Why? Because I was burdened about it. Because I said, I, I want to see somebody saved. There is somebody that needs the gospel, and God's given me the command to go, and I need to do it. Are you going? A real fisherman is not ashamed of who he is. You just talk to somebody about loves fishing. They're, they're glad to talk about fishing. You know, Brother Valier? <laughs> oh, he loves to show you them pictures of them big old fish he's caught in Alaska. Them halibut, you know, six foot long halibut he's pulled in. I mean, he loves talking about that. Too many times we're ashamed of who we are and who we serve. Governor Mike Huckabee, who's from Hope, Arkansas. You know, my dad pastored in Pine Bluff for a number of years, but there's a story that, that Mike Huckabee tells about one time that he got on a plane and he sat down next to somebody and they didn't recognize who he was. And they began talking, and the guy found out he was from Arkansas. And he says, oh, I've got a joke about a politician from Hope, Arkansas. <laughs> and Mike Huckabee says, wait a minute, before you go too far, let me tell you, I'm a politician, and I'm from Hope, Arkansas. The guy paused for a minute, and he says, that's okay, I'll tell it real slow. <laughs> <laughs> I 
what I'm saying is Mike Huckabee had no problem owning up to where he was from and what he was doing. But a lot of times we do. You know what's amazing is when you share the truth, you'll get some people who are belligerent, some who are not kind, but most people are kind. And it's shocking you'll find that most people appreciate what you're doing, but you've got to be willing to be a fisher of men. You've got to be willing to continue in the night when it's hard. Don't let some setbacks, some rude people, somebody maybe calling you a name, keep you from going and doing what God wants you to do. Second Timothy 3.12 says, Yea, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. We've got to go even though it's uncomfortable. We've got to go into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. As I bring this to a close, let me say this. It is not a personality thing. I know we like to use that excuse. Well, it's just not my personality. I'm really kind of a quiet person. Um, Do you know what? When you go fishing, the fish don't come and poke their head out of the water and say, oh, nah, we're not going to bite his lure. He doesn't have a very good personality. They don't poke their head out of the water and say to their buddy, hey, don't bite that one. That guy looked like he got beat with the ugly stick. He says, don't bite that. No, they, they don't do that. What the, the, the hook, the truth was put out. And the fish that's hungry, the fish that wants it, comes by and grabs a hold. And when you and I present the bread of life, It's not about our personality. It's not about our skill. It's about the power of the word of God and the work of the Holy Spirit. And God can use any of us. I'll tell you this last story and I don't remember the exact details because it's something from my dad from many years ago and I don't know if it happened to him or if it happened to one of his pastor friends. But... uh, the pastor of the church had been working on getting his doctor to come to church for a long, long, long time. And finally, after years of working to get his doctor to come to church, the doctor came in and sat up about here where John's sitting. And he preached a great message on salvation, presented the truth. And they had one guy in the church that was kind of slow, but he loved souls. He was a little bit like he didn't talk real clear. He had a little bit of, of mental, you know, limitations. But he loved souls and he would always greet the visitors eagerly and he would always try and be a witness. And during the invitation, the pastor saw that guy get out of his pew and come towards the doctor. And he thought, oh no. Oh no. He's going to ruin it. And this guy that couldn't hardly communicate very well at all. He scoots in next to, the, next to the doctor and he says, hey, do you know that you're going to heaven? And the doctor says, no. And he says, well, do you want to go to heaven? And the doctor said, no. And this guy who didn't know any better or whatever, he says, well, go to hell then. <laughs> and he, tur- he turned and walked away. Now, <laughs> the pastor later that day was so mad when he found out what was said 
he thought, oh my goodness, what in all this work I put in, all of this effort. But what he didn't know is those words, go to hell then, was ringing in that man's ears. And that doctor called the pastor at about midnight that night and said, I cannot go to sleep. I'm afraid I'm going to go to hell. What I'm saying is it's not about your personality. It's about us being obedient. And sometimes we, we open our mouths and we stick our foot in because we're human. And we walk away saying, man, I shouldn't have said that or I said that wrong or I could have done that better. Well, learn from those experiences and do it better next time. But I want you to know God can still use his word and God can still use the work in the lives of the people that we as a church witness to. We've got to cast the nets. We've got to care for the nets, make sure they're effective. And we've got to continue through the night because sometimes it gets hard but we got to keep on going.